The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 5 of The Outspoken Bible. I am Fiona Stewart, here once again with Elaine Duncan and Neil Glover. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. Now, Neil, I don't yes. know if you've had yes, I don't know if you've had any feedback on Glover's others yet. Have you has any of your local contacts said anything to you about it? No, no, it's all no. been quite quiet. No okay. nobody answering the big question that you ask at the start. What's the hidden code? Well, I know, although I was thinking about the fact that, that we're once again behind the curve on, on that. So we'll maybe get a flurry about that and we'll come back to it later on in, in the episode. Because we are I think last time we offered a prize for anyone who can work out. Oh yes, the Elaine, sequence. you don't know about this. Yeah. <laughs> Did I miss? I missed this. <laughs> I can't remember what the prize was. I was driving with Elaine. Oh yes, of course. It was a car journey with Elaine. When I've been a guinea pig possessed. Correct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure if it, maybe that's why there's a that's silence. A reference a stun, to the last episode. Silence on it. Yes. Um, nobody really wants to win that prize. Uh, anyway, we've had an email from long-term listener, second-time emailer Kate Scott. Hello, Kate. And it's on the subject of something else. So let me just read you Kate's email. Just a wee note to say how much some of us are missing Glover's off these days. There was always an air of anticipation waiting for the next podcast, wondering what on earth we were going to hear about, whether it be the names of snowplows, the delights of tray bakes, or fascinating information about the importance of Shehalian. Please bring it back, says Kate. (laughs) She also adds, by the way, your podcast is so helpful in unwrapping the Bible in such a user-friendly way. Long live outspoken. Love to all, Kate. Oh, well done. That's nice. <laughs> so thank you, Kate. I hear you. I also used to look forward to the quirkiness of Glover's Off, but I think we felt we wanted to give Neil a break from having to come up with new ideas each time. <laughs> and it's about knowing when something has to end. I know. I know. Well, we'll maybe come to that as we come to discuss the chapter today. Uh, maybe what we need is a bit more quirky fascination into Glover's others. I'll yeah. leave that with you, Neil. Yeah. Right. Pressure. Yeah. 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 Uh, as ever, thanks, Neil, Kate, for that. <laughs> Neil, I love the fact that you're providing the quirky bits. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> off piste, off piste, and, and that you're comfortable being quirky. Oh, good. Well, that's good because I've I've often wondered if I'm too straight laced. So there we are. Yeah. I mean, once again, we're already into therapy with Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one that gets therapized here. <laughs> Therapized. Interesting. Anyway, as ever, the email for correspondence on Glover's Off, Glover's Others, or any other thing you'd like to say is outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or, of course, via the SBS socials. Now, today our discussion is built around Second Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings 2. Has a nice and symmetry to it. It is, isn't it? 2 Kings 2. And the title for our episode is Elijah Ends, Elisha Begins. Now, Therefore, is the moment to pause the podcast if you want to go and have a look at that chapter before we um, get into the discussion. But while you do that, I've got a starter question for you, Mm -hmm. friends. Now, last time I gave you a choice and you went for the safe option about driving. So this time I'm not giving you a choice. There's one question, no opt out. Here we go. Question is, how good are you at knowing when it's time to pass on a mantle? How easy do you find it to do that? I feel somebody's going to come back with with an answer about coats. Or Which, of course, is what mantle mantles. really is, but d- try not to take it literally. Passing on the mantle of responsibility or leadership or, I don't know. Well, I'll kick off. Yeah. So I'm, since wanting to be a clinical psychologist and then that not happening, mm. I've had, I've worked with three different Christian organisations. So if we're talking about, you know, moving on from res- areas of responsibility in jobs, I've had two different experiences. So the first one, moving from working with the universities and colleges Christian Fellowship, um, basically my boss told me it was time that I was thinking of moving. Um, That was not the easiest thing to take on the chin at the time. but I think he was right, and I and I glad he, I'm glad he had the courage to say that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, soon after that, SU Scotland came knocking at my door to see if I would consider um, working with them, and that and that's what I did. Uh, and then 
I still remember on my dad's 80th birthday, I had been working with SU probably about 10 years. And my dad was turning 80. We were having a Kaylee in the evening to celebrate. And dad and I went for a walk in the afternoon. And on that walk, he said to me, I think you need a fresh challenge. Mm -hmm. And what I said to him was that I would think about that and, you know, weigh it up. But I knew he was right. Uh And, And probably about a year to 18 months later, um, I moved to the Scottish Bible Society. So so for me, it's been a, um, other people have let me know. Uh-huh. And that's been really helpful. Yes. <laughs> um, but, but obviously there's then a personal responsibility before God to kind of weigh that up and uh-huh. think it through and, and explore. So that I don't know whether that's helpful, but just two different, slightly different experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in either of those situations, have you, have you, there's not been, I guess, an obvious passing on of a mantle to an individual. It, it no, it's it's more that I've probably taken up somebody else's mantle. Oh, that's yes, that's interesting. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Neil's deep in thought. Yeah, I'm I'm really contemplating this because actually it's been quite a difficult experience at times for me. I and I'm going to have to be careful here because I don't want to be too public. I think I'd actually take heart from the fact that there's actually not that many great mantle passes that happen in the Bible. Um, that quite often a person hands over and it doesn't go great or it doesn't quite go as well after they've gone. Um, I wonder if sometimes people think that about me. Um, this chapter about to deal with today is probably the best baton pass in the whole of Scripture, apart from when Jesus hands over to the disciples and Pentecost blows up the church. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the time it's quite difficult. I, th- you, you asked about when you know. I, th- I think I've normally known when the time has come or I've done jobs which have fixed terms to them and mm. you just have to leave. Um, but I think I've found it hard sometimes seeing what happens after you've gone, mm-hmm. quite a lot of the time if I'm honest. But I've also been incredibly chuffed to see how some people probably groups of people have have kind of engaged with that challenge afterwards and you think oh my goodness I, I didn't know those folks would do that and that's mm. that's been really great and actually probably hasn't had a whole lot to do with me it's just been I'm really chuffed for them yeah yeah so that was full of vagueness there no it's good though it's good because yeah. um, I think it is it's a hard thing at either side it's a hard thing to take on the mantle of somebody else yeah or or to, to you know to identify and pass on and yeah, it, yeah. in my experience I, I think I'm very bad at in my little human mind trying to fix it all and sort it all and find uh-huh. the right person and, and actually sometimes God's surprised well, me with yeah people talk a lot I get annoyed at all that stuff you know or everybody everybody needs to have a Timothy and a Barnabas you know that thing that people say and you've yeah, got to yeah, have yeah. someone you you pass on to and all that so kind of repeat. Yes, or you've got to have a succession plan. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. You're uh-huh. not allowed that's to have a, that's that. That's the other under, term. Under employment uh-huh. law, you're not allowed to have that. No, it's true. You know, you can't groom someone for a position now because they've got to go into an open appointment process. Yeah, that's so true. Tosh. We're very pragmatic, aren't we, this, this discussion this morning. <laughs> very good, very good. Um, interesting. Again, folks, if you've got thoughts on any of that, then uh, do get in touch with us. Let's know um, what you think. I'm Sorry, I'm just intrigued. Elena, are you under pressure to find a successor? yet this from the man who just said i don't want to be too public about things i know i know <laughs> yeah i mean it, it is it is something that that you know we in as much as we know these things will mm. will happen in the next few years obviously yeah, given yeah. my age um but uh but no i'm not under pressure what you say thank, you, thank you for in, asking in, in biblical terms elaine you're a young woman <laughs> Thanks, Fiona. That's a lovely thought. You're welcome. Right, well, let's move on. Last time we covered a fair amount of ground thinking about Jezreel and justice and so on. This time we're going to bring our focus to the moment where Elijah passes on his mantle to Elisha. And uh, Elisha, sorry, I've actually... I've mistyped that in my script there. Elisha inherits a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Now, Neil, you're the person we kind of start with each time. You're the one who who selected the the mm-hmm. order of how we're talking about this stuff. What should we be looking out for in this chapter? 
So the chapter begins with this, this statement, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Uh-huh. You know, when was that decision made? But it's that sets the whole tone. And then we have a three-part structure where Elisha and Elijah are walking and they start off in, well, originally in Gilgal, and then they're moving to Bethel, then to Jericho, then to the Jordan. And at that each point, they have an encounter with some prophets. And then we have the center point, where Elijah gets taken up into heaven and we talk about all that that means. And then there's a kind of reverse structure where they then move back to the Jordan and then to a Jordan, isn't it? A, the River Jordan, then to Jericho and then to Bethel. So there's this kind of structure of meeting the prophets, Elijah goes up and then what happens? And then we've got a little epilogue story at the end here. And it's a, it's a chapter which asks us big questions about loss, about death, and about what it is to be a prophet, I think. Okay, okay. Well, Elaine, I think you were quite interested in exploring a little bit of that relationship between Elijah and Elisha. It feels quite shadowy, shadowy relationship, isn't it? We don't really know much about... No, we're not not given an awful lot um, of clues. Well, we've got clues about it, but we're not given a lot of detail about it in... um, in the text, but I, what I noticed just reading this was that there is a closeness, isn't there, as um, Elijah and Elisha or Elisha. Um, we're we're going to be ambidextrous about that. I know, that, and I say it about his time. Name. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think I, I, I find myself wondering, you know, other than the points in. First Kings and Second Kings, where where the Elijah kind of bursts onto the scene and he does his stuff and and he's sent by God to bring real challenge to the way that um, God's people are just keep moving away from him, um, and then we're we're told about um, him passing on the responsibility, the, the mantle to um, Elisha. And then we're not told much more uh-huh. about their relationship, um, but, but you know that the the putting on of the the cloak and and Elisha leaving his parents, it, it is almost as if he gets, you know, was it like a father son relationship that Elijah and Elisha had? That that you know, it's almost like Elijah has adopted him, but but we don't know. And yet there is a closeness, I think, in this chapter where Elisha just won't leave Elijah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know quite why Elijah keeps saying, look, I need to go to Bethel, but don't you come with me. And Elijah, no, no, he says, I'm coming. And that happens three times. Mm. You know, I'm I'm sticking with you. I'm, I'm not leaving you. And is Elijah wanting to protect Elisha from the the separation, from the parting, from that that you know focused moment. Um, we don't, we just don't know. But but I do see a, a, a closeness in their relationship. Mm-hmm. They definitely walk together, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, there's that sense that they're walking around, and and the prophets seem to know that this is going to affect Elisha. They keep yeah. going up to him and say, "You know that your master's going today." All the prophets seem to know. It seems to be God's going to take him up, and all the prophets seem to get the memo that this is going to happen. Uh-huh. So God seems to have told all the prophets Elijah's going to go today. And yeah. I I find there's a there's a I think there is a push away from Elijah here. There's uh-huh. a denial where Elisha knows this is happening. Elijah won't even talk about it. He just says, oh, I'm going to Bethel today. Uh, don't come. And then when he goes to Bethel, he says, oh, I'm going to Jericho today. Don't come. He, he, he doesn't actually say, I'm going to heaven today. Uh, it doesn't own up. And it only later on that we get a verse, which we'll come to, where I think it's all faced up to. I think I think there's a kind of gnarliness about the end, uh, uh, kind of a pain. There, there's a whole thing that, we all have been around people who are getting ready to go. And there are parts where they just want to be by themselves. I was with somebody yesterday who just I've had so many visitors and actually asked me, yeah, just just was so tired. Um, and, and that whole thing that you get sometimes where 
there's a sense that people sometimes, according to relatives, seem to choose the moment when it's going to when they go. And sometimes it feels like they've held on for somebody to arrive. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the relatives have spoken almost as if they chose to go at a point when nobody else was there. And I wonder if Elijah's a little bit closer to that. I don't want anybody around me when this happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet that's that's not what happens because no. when, when the moment comes, the, the 50 prophets are, are watching. Yeah. And they're at the Jordan. It's quite, you know, there's a sort of um, focus to that moment, isn't there? Mm. That, that involves observation and witness. Yeah. These 50 prophets yeah. that keep popping up, mm. they're intriguing, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so um, we we know that back in Wog Kings, Obadiah has, has protected a group yeah. of, was that 100? That was 100 yeah. at that point, yeah. Yeah. And then we hear that... God has got another 7,000. Mm -hmm. Good round numbers. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and then Elijah and Elisha, because he can't throw him off, mm -hmm. <laughs> go and visit these groups of prophets. It's almost like, you know, with, with these, the kind of early equivalents of seminaries or monasteries where there were groups of prophets who were learning how to listen to the Lord. Um, they were... You know, were, were they acting like priests as well in terms of yeah. helping the people worship the Lord? We do, again, we just don't know we very don't know. much about them. That's interesting, though, isn't it? Because it makes me think about Paul and Paul's relationship with the early churches. Mm -hmm. You know, there was obviously that that kind of tenderness. And, and again, I don't want to overread the text here, but but as you were speaking, Elaine, it was making me think about that, these little groups of, of believers or these little groups of prophets that, who were being encouraged by the connection. Yeah, and obviously they are prophetic because you know, as you say, they they all know what's going to happen. I, mean, I just wonder that moment. Did they did they all arrive at once for them? <laughs> and they they just turn to each other and go, "Oh, did you just get that? Yeah, I just got that as well." Where Elijah's going today? I think there's an echo that's going on in the previous chapter, Two Kings One. There's three groups of fifty soldiers, and then in Two mm. Kings Two we get three groups of fifty prophets. And I'm wondering if there's a there's a slight sense that. On the political world, it's the world of soldiers that count, but the real world that counts is the spiritual world, and that's where there's equivalent bands of groups of prophets. Mm. So there's mm. something going on there. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, and I, I know this is, and this is speculation, you know. But but what was Elijah and Elisha's relationship with these prophets? You know, what was there? Because Elijah so often just comes across as this solitary figure. Um, but there's a lot of a lot that we don't know about what he did in, in between the times that we see him in the text. And and was there something going on that was actually about you know mentoring and training these prophets? But that's mm -hmm. pure speculation because it's not there in the text. What I find quite interesting is that the nobody dares go up to Elijah and says, "Oh." You're going today, Elijah. They uh -huh. all seem to approach Elisha. He feels to be the more approachable yes. kind of person. And Elisha, I think in slight anxiety, says, shh, don't say any more about it. Do you know he's going today? Shh, be quiet. Oh, and, I, I like it. I like the, so, yes, I know. So be quiet. Yes, yes, stop talking. <laughs> Imagine telling a prophet to stop talking. And what is that? You know, is Elisha saying, yeah, be quiet. I don't want to talk about it. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Or is it, be quiet because Elijah needs space. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh -huh. Or is it, yes, or be quiet because there's a reverence about what's about to happen. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. You know, don't be chattering on about speculatively what we think is about to happen. Actually, just be quiet in the moment of it. Said, said the people chattering and speculating. I know, absolutely. <laughs> yes. just, no, you lot just to be quiet. But, know, but there's a whole thing, isn't there? Again, I know I've said this lots of times, but Elijah is always pushing away. Don't come with me. Yeah. Stay there. Yeah. And Elisha is the person that the prophets come up to, uh, and he's the approachable one. And then you have this moment in verse 9, which I think is the moment that Elijah suddenly confronts what needs to happen. And he says to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you. And I think it's a lovely moment. I think it's a real tender moment where Elijah accepts that Elisha is coming with him. Elijah for the first time, openly speaks of what's about to happen. I'm about to go. And he says to him, what What do you want? And 
you know, we've talked about training programs and, and mentoring and all the rest. And as you've said, Elaine, that, that's not mentioned anywhere. The, the one thing that is said is, I'll see if I can get you the same, or do you want the gift that I've had? And then Elisha, in this great, bold moment, doesn't just say, could I have your spirit? Or could I even have half of your spirit, Elijah? He actually says, could I have double your spirit? And I love that boldness, ambition, vision, even the possibility. You know, when has it ever happened before that one prophet's spirit has gone into another? It's, I don't think it's ever happened in the scripture. Elisha ha- asked to happen, and not just the same spirit, but double. I love him for that. I'm just, it, it's an interesting idea that as, as a person, yeah, maybe Elijah is unique in this or, 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 or particular in this, but um, the passing on of, of some gifting that you have to another. Because it's not really ours to, to our, give. <laughs> no. And oh, I, I, I wonder whether that's why Elijah's response mm-hmm. is you've asked a difficult thing. Uh-huh. Because actually, what Elijah has been able to do is entirely because God has worked through him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and yet he does give Elisha some mm-hmm. reassurance that says, well, keep your, keep your eyes on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, it? yeah, it's mm-hmm. a strange thing. And very often, you know, in, I, I suppose we're just thinking about you kind of leadership situations. And if, if you think about, Neil, even the 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 different congregations that you've been mm-hmm. minister in, and and you know if there is some comparison with with how a previous minister has has mm-hmm. what they have brought to the congregation, often it it the a congregation needs something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. so it, you know what 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 do we mean about that that passing? on mm-hmm. and and what is unique about Elijah and Elisha mm-hmm. that that you know e- Elisha was going to have to continue because actually the um the sorting out <laughs> the 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 restoration of God's people back to himself wasn't complete mm-hmm. yeah i i'm thinking as well of a conversation I had with somebody recently who I had to approach them to ask if they'd be interested in applying for a job. And this is someone who's incredibly gifted, but the, the job was going to take them into new territory. It wasn't Elaine, no. No, it wasn't Elaine, no. <laughs> and it, firstly, I was really struck by the person's humility because they were utterly daunted by that and what that would mean. And then they began to think about it. And the phrase that they used was, the only way I can go into this is in the assurance that God doesn't call the gifted, God gifts those that God calls. Yeah. And I think we've got to say that's that's what's happening here. Elisha, Mm -hmm. up to this point, has been a companion to Elijah, but he does not have any of the kit that he needs to, mm-hmm. to carry on Elijah's ministry at that point. So if the interview panel is going to meet at the start of Two Kings 1 or earlier, it's not going to see very much. Mm-hmm. Or well, maybe it does. I don't I don't know. But it, it's not there yet. And then the the gifting happens into the calling. And mm-hmm. for that person, that that idea that God gifts those that God calls was was the only thing just about that allowed them to to carry yeah. on into the process. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a really good point. Maybe that really is what... Elisha is asking for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is he needs the equipping and the gifting to do the job that God is calling him to. Yeah. 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 And because he's spent time with Elijah and he's seen Elijah, he he has that understanding of what that might entail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And if we think about the chronology, the calling happened in 1 Kings 19. The gifting didn't happen until 2 Kings 2, which mm-hmm. as we speculate is probably quite a few years apart. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll, we'll we'll track through what happens next for Elisha, but mm-hmm. let's stick with Elijah for now. Mm-hmm. Um, so so all of what we've just talked about in terms of the the wider body of prophets and mm-hmm. and the the choosing of Elisha, the, there is a sense that he has birthed something of the prophetic. Yeah. In the land. 
Yes. Um, so up until Elijah has come, there has been a very small amount of prophetic activity. There was a, there's a small incident in, I think it's 1 Kings 11. There's a curious story of two prophets and somebody getting killed by a lion, but it's very marginal. Um, and then suddenly after Elijah appearing, there's prophets everywhere in this section of First Kings and Second Kings. And you're right, I think he does precipitate that almost despite himself, despite being this rugged individualist mm -hmm. and this person who's always pushing people away, mm -hmm. suddenly all these prophets start flourishing up mm -hmm. around him. And in this section of the story, they're everywhere. And there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's 50s and there's hundreds. There's loads of them. It's great. We need so it's, it's actually part of Elijah's legacy then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but it's never, we, we, we never find that, in a sense, articulated no. in the text. It just happens. And I find yeah. that really interesting because I think bringing it to contemporary discussion, we have a lot of conversation in our days about legacy and about intentionality. Yeah. But isn't it interesting that it, there is something of when God's at work in somebody, sometimes there is legacy without somebody setting out to make the legacy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not programmed, is it? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, it's, and obviously it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crude um, a comparison because it's obviously very different different times, yeah. but it's, it's interesting though, isn't it? it mm. Well, it is because I think we're, we're a wee bit obsessed even within the church about leadership conferences and training mm. and... Um, My brother's comment yeah. on that is always, I wish we could have a few more conferences about being a follower. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that's I'd a like really a servant good point. conference, says Neil Stewart. A what conference? Yeah. A conference about being a better servant. Oh, and, <laughs> and a follower. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 very often, you know, we we're we're focused on programs and um plans ahead and then just the way God works, there's a there's a dynamism in the way God works that so often transcends our efforts yes and, and i think there is something of of our current moment that that's very helpful to 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 say you know so i'm, I'm thinking about this sort of conversation about a non-anxious presence about how we live being mm -hmm. a model for those around us in times that are very uncertain and, and it's quite difficult to plan yeah yeah there is something about simply simply being and allowing god to work through us yeah if it's we not do to the... say you ditch all plans. I'm not. I'm no, not saying that. You're but... not. No, I don't hear you saying that. But what you're saying is, it's that thing that sometimes it, it comes right back to something that I think comes from the Dutch mystic Meister Eckhart that I, I that you cannot program the spiritual life. I, I remember once somebody talking about a discipleship program and they wanted us to be able to say, we will take your young person, that we're going to talk to parents, we're going to take your young person at point A and over a year we are going to move them to point B. And I thought, well, that sounds dreadful. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm reminded of Meister Eckhart who said that the, the Christian life is something like, it's something like it's three inches long and four miles deep. It's, it's that, that sense of outward stuff, you can't see it, but inside it, as we've pointed out here, clearly something has happened because suddenly all these prophets are appearing all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we've mentioned before that it's not, it's not a straight line. No. That on a kind of upward trajectory for any of us, yeah. be, mm -hmm. you know, it's much more roller coaster, isn't it? With ups and downs and twists and turns, mm. um, and the constant in it is actually the God's work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, God is the constant. Yeah, yeah. the kind of golden threads, you all. Yeah. yeah. No Let's river runs like... straight. Sorry. Pardon? No river runs straight. Oh, thanks. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> can I can I just um, focus, before we get on to Chariots of Fire, uh -huh. um, I'd love that first part of verse 11, as they were walking along and talking together. Mm. And I just think in terms of our relationships, so often walking and talking mm. is a way that really brings depth yeah. to a relationship. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it reminded me of, um, you know, when the two disciples are on their way from mm. Jerusalem to Emmaus mm. and they're walking and talking and then Jesus comes along and they don't recognize him. Uh, so for me, there was just something lovely around um 
that and I think a lot of people discovered that during lockdown yeah, didn't they? when true. when they were able to walk with somebody else because we all liked our our walks and when you started walking with somebody else maybe somebody that you didn't know particularly well before lockdown mm-hmm. but it's really deepened a relationship yeah definitely definitely do you, do you think there's something that this has only been allowed to happen after verse nine after the moment of acceptance because there's no mention of walking and talking before that mm-hmm. if, if anything it feels yeah. like a silent conversation yeah and then does the kind of acceptance, does that allow the talking to happen? That We've almost like we've dealt with the elephant in the room. Yeah, could well be. Unlocked that. something, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I, I'd like to talk about, about Elijah and death, but yeah, yeah, let's talk about Elijah and death. So do, does he die? Does he walk with the Lord? Is he like Enoch? There's no body. No, he doesn't die. Because the prophets go and look for him and they can't yeah. find him. I don't think he dies. Mm-hmm. And we'll come to maybe the question why. But I think one of the incredible things about Elijah is that death is not allowed to take him. He mm-hmm. It goes right back to the, the phrase in verse 2, for the as the Lord lives and you yourself live, Elijah, as, as life is in God and life is in your soul, is what Elijah says there. There seems to be something uniquely lifed about Elijah, which is why in his life he has brought rain he has bought he has been around bread oil um fire has come all these things and it's almost as if that can never be fully taken from him mm-hmm. and so what happens is as and, and people can't quite believe it even these prophets who knew that he was going to go that day they seem to can't come to terms with it they go looking for his body later on nobody to be found i think yeah he lives there's something unique about elijah that cannot be taken. And that's why he's still alive in the New Testament when the Mount of Transfiguration comes along. Mm-hmm. Mm. And he features yeah. a lot in the New Testament. But... Mm. Yeah. He does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's so there's something unique. A lot. Uh-huh. There's something unique about him. Yeah. So, so John the Baptist is referred to, I think, as a, 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 like the new Elijah. Yeah. Or even Elijah himself. Jesus uses the language. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, he yes, he is. He's an intriguing character, and I and I guess in, I guess many of us would this this would be lovely, wouldn't it? If this was the way that we were transported to heaven, yeah, without yeah. having to pass through death. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, it's almost instant. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm almost mm-hmm. reminded of Paul saying for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. There's almost a sense that it's going to be over that that we can get into what happens after death. But that moment, um, I also think there's a there's a there's a passage in Revelation 11 that's quite interesting here about the long life of Elijah. Mm-hmm. So John, uh, the the seer, the prophet, the uh, apocalyptic John in Revelation 11 is given a vision where he says he's to come and measure the temple. And then in 11 verse 3, it says, I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1,260 days wearing sackcloth. So there's this mention of these two witnesses. And there's two olive trees. And then we get a little bit of a clue about who these two witnesses are. It says, One of them has authority to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And that has to be Elijah. Mm -hmm. And then of the second witness, they have authority over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague. So that seems to be a reference to Moses. Mm. And then they finish their testimony, and then the beast out of the bottomless pit will make war on them. And this takes us to a place we talked about last time where Elijah and Moses seem to embody an ongoing spiritual conflict that happens between the beast and and them who are the prophets of of God. And Mm -hmm. um, Elijah's enemy was Ahab and Moses' was was Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And and then what happens in verse 7 of Revelation 11, which has never happened before, either to Moses or Elijah, it says the beast conquers them and kills them. So it's a tragic moment. And at last it feels that the forces of darkness have done what nobody else has been able to do up to this point, which is to kill Elijah. But 
And even worse, their bodies lie in the street of the great city that is prophetically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So eventually, Elijah does have to share in the experience of Jesus mm-hmm. and, and of, of being like crucified. And for three and a half days, members of the prophets, there's the prophets again, or sorry, the peoples and the tribes, languages will gaze at their dead bodies. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them because these two prophets had been a torment to the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 11, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and those who saw them were terrified. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched over them. Mm. And it seems to be that in Revelation, Moses and Elijah at last both taste death, but also taste resurrection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I'm going to preempt my takeaway and say that's what I'm going to go and have a look at before we next meet, because that's very interesting. Mm. Uh, yes, I I hadn't noticed that I've bit never in Revelation noticed that. before. No, I've never noticed that. I'm going to put my hand up and say I've just never noticed that at all. So that's that's fascinating. Thank you, Neil. Um, so, yeah, so Elijah, so he's taken up, a, he is this particular, he has a particularity along with Moses. Mm-hmm. Um throughout scripture um and then he's gone yeah he's gone. and elisha elisha is left with yeah. these other prophets who seem to be busying about trying to go and find elijah yeah um, now whether that's his body or whether that's you know they, they think he's not yeah whatever it it's is kind of give us activity we, we've lost them we just need something to do yeah yeah, yeah. And, Eli- and elisha has to kind of manage that doesn't he yeah um, and he's torn his clothes in grief as well. Mm-hmm. So there's there is a measure of acceptance, but also a measure of loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's let's talk about Elisha's grief. Yeah. Because I think that leads us into the the end of the chapter, and these two miracles that we, oh well, shall I call them miracles? These two encounters accounts that we then read. So on the surface, it feels that almost Elisha is able to smoothly carry on the ministry of mm-hmm. Elijah. He, he um, There's a really nice moment where he, he taps the River Jordan and he, he says, if the if the God of Elijah is here and then the, the Jordan splits apart, and that must have been a great moment. He's thinking, mm. oh, I have really inherited this spirit. Mm-hmm. And then he goes with the prophets. He says, no, he's definitely dead. There's an acceptance in Elisha. He then goes to Jericho, the cursed city, and, and uncurses it. And we think it's all going smoothly, don't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we encounter these boys. <laughs> we'll come back to that, though. Can we talk? Can we talk about about Jericho? Jericho is a cursed city mm. because the walls have been rebuilt and they shouldn't have been. Yeah. And mm. so there's a significance in in verses nineteen through to twenty two uh, around what he then does in in changing the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems to be that that the the water is identified as bringing death. Mm. Actually, so mm-hmm. so you know if, if it's the water that's irrigating the land, things are not growing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's certainly reference. I didn't see it in the text, but I think some of the commentators talk about women miscarrying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so there's. There, there is this sense of death in a city. Yes, and the very source of life has has been poisoned. I suppose. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. It says in verse twenty one, it doesn't it doesn't say there is miscarriage, but because it says neither death nor miscarriage shall happen from now on, I think the implication is that it has been happening, but it doesn't actually say that, does it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Elisha comes along, and and I'm quite. Uh, fascinated by by when it, when we come to talk about miracles and, and next episode we'll we'll pick up more about miracles but there's there's a sense that God is at work through him but he also has to take an action doesn't he so he, mm. he takes the salt and he throws it into the river um, in order to to enact the miracle but I mean what an incredible miracle mm-hmm. you, you know f- to 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 change the source of of a city's <laughs> You know what's causing death, yeah. just to completely change that, and I mean, to bring life, mm-hmm. and that's such a strong theme right throughout Scripture, isn't it? That God is the one who brings life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He He is the one 
And then we'd, by the time we get into the New Testament and we get to Jesus, he conquers death. Mm-hmm. This is not just, so this is very local. It's very particular. It's about a water source uh, and it's about bringing life to a city. And then we'll, it, but it does look forward, doesn't it, to that gospel message of Jesus bringing life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that, that, that this strikes me with. The first is that the death runs all through First and Second Kings. It's the, it's the death of an idea. It's the death of a kingdom. It's the death of a dream. And no one embodies that more than the kings themselves who, who die. Sometimes if they're related to David, then they get to sleep, which suggests some kind of impermanence. Or even Ahab, who's repented of all the people he gets to sleep as well when he dies. But it seems that death is winning all the time. Um, and yet this is a moment where ultimately it points to the triumph of life. And the, the other thing I'd, I'd, that what you were saying just took me to was just how important this, this story was to African-American slaves who, who lived in a land of death, who were beaten and who were whipped, who were told that they were the children of Ham and that God had cursed them. And yet they would sing a song that said, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. And and once again, it points to that hope of life in, in a place of death. Yeah, yeah. I know the, that has grabbed the imagination mm-hmm. of people, hasn't it? The chariots of fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Elijah being taken by God straight into heaven without having to pass through death. And I... But then death for all of us is a reality. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the hope comes because we know it's not actually the end. It is a it's a it's a passageway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bring me my bow it, of burning it, gold, bring me my arrows of desire, bring me my spear, O oh, clouds unfold, bring me my chariot of fire. Yeah. Sorry, Elaine, I interrupted you there. Well, that's fine. <laughs> And there's and there's lovely there's lovely analogy with water, isn't there? Because we again, when we did our series on John, the significance of water in John was really important in terms of being a a, a source of life, wasn't it? Thinking about saltiness as well. So so that's a that's a that's a that's a win for Elisha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's he's part of the Jordan. I can see where you're going with this. Yeah. <laughs> He's part of the Jordan. He's dealing with all these prophets going off to look for Elijah's body who've not quite understood what's happened. Uh, he's done this great thing for the city of Jericho and brought life. And then he walks he gets into Bethel. Mocked. And he gets he mocked. He gets mocked. Yes. He gets <laughs> mocked. Severely mocked. For his boldness. And I have a number of friends for whom this story will probably resonate more than others. But um, yeah. And, and then this, he curses them and 42 boys die. And I find that quite a difficult ending to the chapter. Can we talk about that? Is it part of Elisha's grief? Is he grieving? Oh, who knows? <laughs> it's. I mean, it's certainly not an easy, an easy one to get our heads around, is it? You know, is it that in his grief he he also knows that he has a job to do mm-hmm. and discovers that actually this double portion um of of Elijah's spirit is with him is able to to part the jordan with Elijah's cloak is able to bring life to a, a city of death and then there is just this insult and and does he just think he's he's above it? You know that who, yeah. who is who is he? You know is is there a kind of is there some pride thing going on maybe? Or mm. is it his point of vulnerability? I think I think yeah. it's interesting because often people you know the, the things that hurt the most are the quite personal things, and maybe for him it was about his boldness. I mean, it sounds kind of twee to say it, but yeah. So you can cope so with, the big, personal. with the big insults, but something that's personal and I can do nothing about, about yeah. my, that maybe bothers me. Yeah. and Or is it part of that, that grief that, in a sense, he's been on a bit of a high mm-hmm. and then something like this just brings him right down. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It's a and it's a it's a a trigger point, and it's his hurt. Yeah, you know, and that and that grief about losing his mentor, his companion, you know, the man he's looked up to, mm-hmm. and it, Elijah. So it so for whatever reason, and there could be a number of different reasons, but it's certainly a trigger uh-huh. that causes him to to curse this uh-huh. this rowdy mob. And I'm not, I'm not, well, I am kind of letting him off the hook, but he doesn't, he doesn't say, he doesn't command the bears to come out of the wood. Yeah. He I responds t- in anger in the moment. Yeah. And, and that's the hard bit of the story, isn't it? Yeah. Because we can kind of cope with Elisha cursing, you know, there's mm-hmm. plenty of scope for that in the Psalms. That's fair. What, what the problem is that God appears to back him up on this. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, fair enough. I'll get those forty-two boys for you. And you think, God, could we not maybe done something a bit? You know, does the fun, does the punishment fit the crime here? It, it feels to be quite severe. Yeah, I think some commentators, some of the the harder end of the commentariat, they're like, oh, they deserved it. But uh-huh. I think we, I struggle with that. I, I struggle with that, but I also understand the root of it, which is about the holiness of God and mocking. I mean, the mockery here is of, of is of Elisha, but I guess on one level, you know, the mockery of anybody is the mockery of God's creation. Yeah. I'm not in any way saying that you then need to be mauled by a bear. Please don't hear that. But, you know, I can understand that, that argument that says there's something about reverence and respect for the holiness of God, uh-huh. for the man of God. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's something that I think it's, it's hard for me to get my head around, whereas, you know, in a sense, vengeance belongs to God mm-hmm. be- because we are not capable of acting justly mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And and I think what we find throughout Scripture is that, that vengeance rarely comes at the point of sin. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's often de- delayed. So, so, so maybe one of the things that's difficult about this story is that there, there's this immediacy to it, whereas very often people have to wait a long time for justice. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, even in our own legal system, the the time that it takes for a for a, a, a something to come to court mm-hmm. can be years, mm-hmm. and victims are waiting. And waiting and waiting for justice, and and very often, I mean, the Bible describes God's anger lasting for a day, and His mercy lasts for a year, or something like that. Uh-huh. I maybe not got that quote exactly right, but yeah. So I think there's something about the immediacy of this that that uh-huh. that makes us struggle with it. Uh-huh. And we are making an assumption here that this is the vengeance of God. Yeah, the text doesn't say it, but it, it kind of leads you down that path, doesn't it? He cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two she-bears came out of the wood and mauled the boys. It does feel like A leads to B. But it, it's really, it's a, I, I was, you weren't like, you wouldn't let me away this. I, I was trying to say it might be a fairy story. And, and, you know, it's like, it's like the wolf chasing Little Red Riding Hood and all the rest. But um, that feels a bit of a reach, doesn't it? Or trying to, mm-hmm. trying to escape from yeah. the, the difficulty of the story. And and sometimes it looks as though A leads to B when it doesn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because actually we don't know the mind of God. And and, and we, we come back to the question of orality, that, that when when uh, um, history is recorded in an oral form, there there is an interpretation that happens in that, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, you... Yeah. you you have this thing, don't you, Fiona, where you said that, you know, you can imagine people telling that story at night around a campfire to a group of children and going, uh-huh. and, and then, then two bears came out of the woods and 42 of those boys never went home. It's the kind of thing I would say at SU camp, Neil. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, you would, but it... Well, maybe not SU camp, but you, you, we tell these sorts of stories to children, don't we? Well, yes, there is. A, and, and, that's, and I, that's where I understand what you're saying about the fairy tale aspect of that. That there is a kind of morality tale aspect to it, isn't there? Still, yeah. I still find it hard I th- to reconcile, though. Yeah, and I, I think 
we've said before on the podcast that, you know, many Christians find the Old Testament Mm -hmm. difficult Mm -hmm. and then they think God somehow changes his character Mm -hmm. in the New Testament. Um, and, And this is one of those places where it is quite hard for for us to to but as we look at it through new testament eyes yeah we 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 see that that things in the old testament that were about maintaining the otherness of god the glory of god the holiness of god the the majesty of god the outworking of that through the Old Testament was was different, you know. And we've said as we were going through one kings. I mean, the number of of times that there's war and death, and and that still goes on today. But but actually, Jesus coming gives us a whole new way of relating to the holiness of God. Yes. Yes, and so in a sense, that's a lens through which we have the mm. privilege of being able to 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 read some of this mm-hmm. text. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's really helpful, Elaine. Really helpful. Um, I was also, as you were speaking, thinking about you know when Jesus is asked about the people who are killed when the tower falls over. Yeah, and he says it's not their fault that this has happened. And you know, I, I, yeah. So there's something in how how we interpret what happens. Sometimes it's not right. Yes. Or, or yes. We, we overinterpret. Yeah, we read into things that that might not be there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it is still a sticky passage, I it, think. It's, it's, yeah, it's definitely there. It, then the two bears. I mean, it's difficult yeah. to avoid it. I wonder if there's a sense that, I mean, this is a hard lesson to learn for 42 boys who get killed, who, you know, do come out the city to kind of judge him, but... So, yes, and, and I think we, we we can we can be light on that actually because I think I read it and I think you know some boys were just hanging about calling mm. names, but there's an I think there's an intentionality to what they're doing. They've come out intentionally to to mock him and pillory him. Yeah, yeah. I think is the sense, isn't it? Yeah, and they they see him, but I I wonder as well if yeah I mean I can't help but going you know you and I um. Fiona both grew up in Edinburgh in the 1980s. I, I lived in fear of mobs of boys um, mm-hmm. when I was growing up um, because there were a lot of them around. And if they caught you, you were in trouble. Um, I wonder, though, there's a sense that Elisha realises the power of his own words at this yes. point. Yes. And I don't think there will be another moment like this that, that we're about to come across other miracles where there are different hard edges to those miracles, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's the same loss of life that happens after this. Mm. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. There's a, there's a learning point for him in this. Yeah. Mm. It's the power. And I th- Yeah, and I, I, I guess the juxtaposition of this with the um, bringing health to Jericho, you know, it is a kind of... There's a life-giving situation, and here's a situation that ends in death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe that—I mean, again, <laughs> these are big themes that the whole of Scripture deals with. And maybe we we just need to be tread a little bit carefully around. Okay, I don't. I, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I'm not. I'm not really sure what I'm saying. <laughs> Well, I, no. Well, are you talking about about reading too much from one chapter, and not? Is that what you're saying? No. Yeah, maybe maybe what I'm saying is that the Bible deals with the reality of death, but also gives us the way to life. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and it's right that we struggle mm-hmm. with death. In all its forms, yeah. But but not, but actually rejoice in the fact that we have, we know the route to life because God is life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about death and life, isn't it? This chapter. Mm-hmm. It's all about death and life in lots of different forms, really. Yeah, and the possibility of a way, as you've just said, Elaine, of a way to life in the valley of the shadow of death. I think we're going to leave it there. 
unless anyone has anything particular they want to add in. And I will ask you to think about your takeaways. I think we all know that mine is to go and study Revelation 11. <laughs> Next time we're going to pick up on miracles again. So, I, you know, we'll delve into a little bit more, I think, about about what that then looked like in, in the subsequent chapters. Mm. Any takeaways? I think just picking up on what we've just been talking about, that passage in Hebrews where it talks about Jesus, the pioneer, the, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who goes before us. And in a sense, Elijah is the one who manages to escape out of this place and, and goes ahead to life. And they're almost, as I read this passage with all that death, I, 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 read, I find myself so happy that these prophets managed to find a way into life. And and actually, that's that's the gospel. That's the that's the hope that that Jesus finds a way into life, not just for Elijah and Elisha, but for all of us. Mm. Yeah, and I think for me, it's linked to what both of you have said, which is just the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then how do we read and understand the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. I'm always intrigued by that. And I think there have been things that we've talked about today that just make me want to think a little bit more about that. Yeah. 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 Well, we shall reconvene and see how we've got on with that. That might be my question. My opening question next time is, have you done your takeaway? Uh, this is always a question to me. <laughs> what, <laughs> haven't. What, have you done your takeaway what before the episode starts? Yes. No, from the previous time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I'm terrible. I walk out the booth and I forget everything we've talked about. Um, yeah, Fiona's still working on season two. I know. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure the, out the Hebraic law and all that stuff. The, the now, problem with this yes. is unlike any other conversation that we normally have, you just say these things and forget them. The, the, the problem with this one is it's recorded and you re-listen to it at least yeah. once, sometimes twice. Exactly. I think, blame me, I've not done that yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Well, it's time for Glover's Others. We are once again behind the publication curve. So possibly by the next time we record, someone might have come up with an answer to the question of the sequence. So listeners, just to remind you, we're looking to see if you can spot the significance in the order of these characters. And you can contact us at outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org if you think you found it. And as we've mentioned already, there is a top prize on offer. A drive with Elaine Duncan. What was it? The crazy hamster? Crazy guinea pig? The crazy hamster lady or something. A guinea pig possessed. That's there funny. we go. That's it. Well, nobody's going to want the prize. Well, I know. I feel That's guess. not true, Elaine. I think, I think half an hour in your company, well, I could see quite a lot of people have been up for that. Might be safer to walk and talk than to drive and oh, talk. Oh, that's yeah, your, yeah, your, your, that's you're dimming down the prize. Yes. All right. Okay. okay. Well, there we go. We'll eh? drive and talk. So uh, enough of that, though. It's time now for character number five. Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others. B-list characters you really don't want to miss. Who is your B-roll character this time, Neil? It's... Another person who gets handed over to. Now, sometimes some of the characters in this have been very unknown. This one's reasonably well known. It's Joshua, son of Nun. But the reason I'm saying he's a B character is because he has to follow Moses, a bit like the Elisha, Elijah thing. Except nobody would ever say, I think, that Joshua... Did Joshua do more than Moses? We've definitely said that Elisha might end up doing more than... He did take the people into the promised he land, He did. Surely. Moses never managed that, did he? The, but there's some... I wonder if... So, it, I've got this from Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there's there's something about Joshua that he has to learn to be a good successor and that he's he's probably not going to have the same stories told about him as as Moses. But it's that old thing, when he gets to heaven, he's not going to be asked, Joshua, were you Moses? He's going to be asked the question, Joshua, were you Joshua? And the great thing is pretty much he does it. He he does the part he needs to play. And I love Joshua because he points to all of us who I think all of us will have a Moses figure, someone that 
is has gone before us and maybe one day we hoped we'd be liked and then one day we realized we're probably not going to be mentioned in the same breadth and then we had to become ourselves and and he does that and the thing i love about him is that his name joshua is the name that will be later on used for the son of god because although in english we call jesus jesus in hebrew and in aramaic he was called yeshua which is the same name as yeshua son of none very good character number five Joshua. Thank you both very much for joining us. Uh, Next time we finish this six-part series with an episode entitled The Many Miracles of Elisha. Elisha, still can't do it, get it. And that's reading 2 Kings 4 through to 2 Kings 7 verse 2. And as ever, Neil, you'll be glad to hear the link to those readings is in this week's (laughs) show notes. The show notes, (laughs) which I sometimes read. (laughs) Meanwhile, thank you for listening and uh, thank you to Elaine and to Neil and we'll speak to you soon. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.